All right, here we go. Clap for me, will you? That's the Rob clap. Everybody knows it. Guys, good morning. Jeremy, National Fire Radio with Tucker. Heather, our newest addition, which we'll talk about in just a, just a very quick minute. And uh, Jason Wilson, Bear. Bear Wilson. Yes, sir. It's badass, man. Good morning. Bear is from Houston Fire, currently a captain on the Hazmat Company. Yes, sir. Awesome. He's in New Jersey for the holidays. No place better to be. Right. <laughs> <laughs> little snow this morning, yeah, too. Yeah. Little snow this morning. That's right. Yeah. But uh, excited to have him. We kind of uh, crossed paths, and uh, we invited him into the studio to capture some stories out of Houston, Texas, which, for me, a little New Jersey guy, big state of Texas, man, there's a lot coming out of there. And uh, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Awesome to have you for a few minutes here. And uh, so I want to take you away from your family. I'm sure you've been cooped up with everybody for a week or two now so it might be a you know a little i'm going for coffee i'll be yes, back in three yes. hours that's funny hey real quick while we start um new face heather uh heather thanks for joining us heather is going to become part of the team uh with the new studio coming on board and a lot of the uh new types of segments we're going to be putting out and so we welcome you thank you thanks for joining <laughs> us um it's awesome rob is on uh, a sabbatical today. Yeah, he's uh, he's actually down in South Carolina visiting family, and so we're rolling without him. And I hope we can get through without him. We miss him, Rob. We miss you. But anyway, you should have a notebook. <clears throat> yeah, no, start you, filming everyone. She's smart. She doesn't need a notebook. <laughs> anyway, so here we are, and of course, Sammy behind the camera as always. But um, you know, this is kind of like a, a last minute thing, and I'm glad we did this, and I'm glad that uh, you know you had a few minutes to join us. And um, this studio, we turned the lights out on this thing like two weeks ago, and we were tearing it down and so on. And I had to resurrect some of it this morning to get it back up and online uh, to be here. And I know it's. Nothing, you know, you're looking at me like, what studio? Like, this place, but this is, um, you know, but this is this is where we began. And so this is big for me because you're the last one that's going to be in this place. And uh, this has been our first year of National Fire Radio. So it's kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's still, awesome. Still have yeah. the festive tunes. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, but the new studio um, is going to be really legit. We keep talking about it, but I'm super excited to get it online. Um, it's actually going to look somewhat professional compared to this little makeshift garage that we have going here. But uh, but anyway, Bear, thank you. Thanks for joining us. So real quick, just to, you know, just want to capture your story. We want to hear about you. Um, I, I read your bio. There's a lot in it um, and so on. So Houston Fire, 23 years on the line? 17 in 17, Houston. okay. Yep, six in a city prior to that. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. And now you're currently signed as a captain to uh, the Hazmat Company, which is not a discipline that I am... Well versed on or want to be, I think, for that matter. So I, I give you and your guys a lot of credit. So maybe you can hit on that a little bit, or maybe start about you know the beginning of your career and how you got to where you are. Sure. So go ahead, brother. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm honored to be here. So thank you very much for, cool. for allowing me to come and visit. And didn't anticipate sitting down and, and having a chat and, and sharing some stories, but that's that's it's wonderful, and I'm cool. excited to do that. Happy to have you. Um, you know, we've in in Houston, uh, there's. Uh, Fourth largest department, we're making a thousand calls a day. 28% of those calls are motor vehicle accidents, um, which come in as most of the time as, as EMS. Um, so th there's, a, there's a lot going on there. However, uh, our story hasn't been told out there as much as, as, as I want it to be told. Um, and this is, let me get one thing straight this is not about me. This is about my guys and the Houston Fire Department. Awesome. Number one. Um, I get bored talking about myself. So um, 
I started in Missouri City, Missouri City, Texas, which is a, uh, a little suburb of, of Houston, Texas. And uh, What's it, the population? Uh, population at the time was about 25,000. Now it's up to about 60,000, so it's, wow. it's, it's a bedroom community. <laughs> we had three stations at that time. Now they've got six. Uh, we were running two people per apparatus, and we had what we call PSOs, public safety officers. So the police officers were firemen, and the firemen were police officers. Nice. So on a house fire... We would huh. take a fire truck with two guys on it to the fire. The cops would come screaming over. They'd get out of their cop uniform, put on the fire uniform, and go in with us. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that is nuts, though, man. I've never heard of that. Yeah. So yeah. my first house fire was uh, an actual friend of mine from high school. Her house caught on fire. I was out doing a PR event in the fire car, car five, and the senior guy stayed behind demand the fire truck so we make this house fire i pull up first blowing and going next thing i know he's pulling up on the apparatus i go run and skull drag the five inch at the time and next thing there's cops coming just raining down on us and they're all throwing their their cop gear off putting their fire gear on i go grab the fire gear and Take off inside. Yeah. So what? Wow. So what was the name of the public safety then? Are you a public safety department or? At, at the time, <clears throat> it was, and they were actually uh, in the phase of, of uh, in process of phasing that out. So okay, they realized that that they were taking police off the street, and the the crime would spike a little bit. Hey, there's a fire. Yeah, yeah, hey, there's a fire. It. Yeah, yeah exactly. Let's go rob it. Let's go get the quickie more. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody said with NFPA standards, hey, you know, this doesn't look good. So, yeah. so yeah, it was a public safety uh, department. Yeah. And the actual police chief was also the fire chief as well. So, uh, as you can see, and as, as you know in a lot of towns, that uh, with the police chief being the fire chief as well, who got more of the, the, the funding yeah, and right. the resources right. and stuff like that. So, right. they realized that, and then they broke it off and... And uh, the assistant chief in the fire department actually became the fire chief and, and served there for a while after that. But, uh, I, yeah, I stayed on the job there six years and then moved over to uh, to Houston after that. So. And I think you indicated before, too, that you always had the desire to be a Houston fireman, right? That was, yeah. okay. Yeah, so there was uh, a couple months after that, we were sitting in the fire station and big fire happens right outside of our city, which we had city boundaries with Houston, and it ended up being a salt mine or salt factory. And um, next thing we know, we're getting dispatched over there to, to mutual aid them. So we pull up. They only wanted our, our water thief. That's the only thing they wanted from the was the water thief. <laughs> and about, yeah, so we're sitting there watching this thing burn. And there was probably 40 fire trucks there and then ours, and uh, just two of us. And, and the chief comes up to us and tells us, can't do much with two people. <laughs> we need more than that. And so they took our water thief. We went back to the fire station, went back in service. <laughs> a couple hours later, they brought the water thief back to us. And, you know, from that moment on, I thought, you know what, man, I, I, I want to be a Houston fireman. Man, this is, this is cool. This is the place to be. So, um, yeah, started putting in my application. Uh, six applications. Six years later, I finally got accepted into the, the Houston Fire Department. So that's cool. Good stuff. Yep. That's great. And here you are now. So. Up through the line, so I'm guessing you served in a lot of different capacities, um, you know, when you came on. How does, so Houston, it's a massive, fourth largest, you said? Fourth largest. Okay, who's the who's the largest in Texas, do you know? Who we the, are. Oh, you are? Yeah, yeah, we are. 
Oh, yeah. Fourth, oh, largest, fourth in largest in the nation. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I'm here. It's a little early for you. It's okay. Yeah. Stick with me. Another so, cup of coffee. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so okay. we're not drinking beer is the thing. Right. <laughs> not yet. That's, yeah, we at least wait till noon for that. Over here. But um, so how does, how does the, the process in Houston fire? Because every city obviously is different. So um, when you come in, do you get assigned to, do they float you around at different companies? Do you just get assigned to a company? How do you know? How do you find your way? I mean, what's the story? So... Uh, Tradition has been uh, the assistant chief over training will figure out who's the FTOs that are available in the fire stations, and then they'll try to figure out the busiest companies that are available as well out of those available FTOs, and then they'll, uh, I guess about a week before you graduate, um, pretty much know exactly where you rank in your class from uh, highest to lowest grade-wise, mm-hmm. and they'll put all these companies on the fire on the, on the chalkboard with the shift and number one guy gets to pick the first one and so then all the way down to very the, similar to yeah. a lot of the northeast cities and, yeah. and that i know of how they do it then top of the class really yeah. gets their pick and then sure. the bosses argue and fight over who gets who right. throughout the class and then you find your way how many do you have in a class and how many classes would you have in a year typically uh, right now i was I just did a tour at the academy for 14 months um Anywhere between, so a fast track class is, is guys that have worked in another department that have come to work for us. Okay. So we only put them through about an eight week uh, familiarization. Yeah, learn your methods. Right. <clears throat> Those are 20, 25 people. The uh-huh. full track classes are 70 to 80 people, and we generally run in three to four, sometimes six classes a year. Uh-huh. Uh, two fast track classes at least, and then the rest of them are, are full track classes. So, mm. Yeah. So we're running, when I was in the academy as, as in the fast track program, uh, back in 2002, we ran 360 people through the academy in one year. So yeah, a lot of fun. What's the full strength? Full strength of? Your department? So 4,000. 4,000, there's 850 on duty every day. Okay. And uh, then that other 150 of those four shifts, which would make up about 600 people, those are in administrative positions, or maybe somebody that's off on injured or right. you know, whatever it may be. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So you find your way up through the ranks, right? I mean, you, you had to go some fires and have some fun, and uh, anything stick out? Any any fires or stories stick out in your mind that uh, you know that you were like, man, that's one for the career, or that's one that uh, you know really. I don't mean to put you on the spot. Yeah. I mean, we can come back to it. It's just yeah. you know everybody usually has that one or two stories that just you know sticks out, and they're like, man, that was. That was a good one. Crazy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so Houston, um, uh, well, let me back up. Missouri yeah. City, uh, we get dispatched uh, to Houston uh, for a, a large fire, but we got sent to back into one of their fire stations. Now we're picking up their calls. And this is 1994, I believe it is, June of 94. So we're starting to pick up their calls, and next thing we know, we're responding with these other cities. They're picking up calls from mutual right. aid. So we don't have... Uh, a mutual aid box alarm assignment. There's no Mavis agreement within right. our city to these other cities. Does all your threads and things match? No, no, they didn't. They didn't. Well, I'm easy. sure we're going to find out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we were already on the storage system, and they weren't at yeah. all. And so uh, there was there was a lot of those issues as well. So you know we're we're making a couple of medical runs. The next thing you know, we get dispatched over to the fire, and uh, we are sent to. Uh, supply this 1500 foot lay 
And so we're in there, uh, we break the supply and we're boosting the pressure into a large warehouse fire. Um, it, it, most of it was plastic pellets inside oh. the warehouse and Houston lost, ended up losing three apparatus. Matter of fact, because the walls falling out and, and crushing ladder 19 and I can't remember the other two engine companies. Uh, but they were on that fire for about uh, two weeks, if I don't, uh, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> so we went over there. And we talked. We ended up. Uh, the senior man was driving. I was riding the seat, which didn't make sense, but that's what he wanted to do. Um, and we ended up uh, pumping on that fire for probably 13 or 14 hours or so. That's when you and, call a fuel truck. Yeah. No, know? that's exactly yeah, it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Call a fuel. So what did I do? Nothing but sit back and watch the big column of smoke and watch the rest of the guys Yeah, um, do a little bit of work. But, it was, of course, it was surrounded and drowned um, when we got there. So that was probably the, the, the biggest one that yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of uh, uh, you know, made me think, wow, man, this is some cool stuff. However, when you really look back on it and what was in there and what was burning yeah. and yeah. and uh, what we were all exposed to at the time because, you know, uh, it's not cool to wear your air pack. It's not cool to wear which, a Which air. wasn't even a conversation back in 94. No, no. It wasn't, wasn't even a thought. No, not at all. You not know, all. and uh, and now you come, you know, full circle. I mean, this is like, now it's, that's what we were just talking about. We were talking about, and I figured it out, I believe it was San Antonio that does that with the gear. Yes. Where they swap yeah. out gear after it's contaminated. And, um, you know, and more and more departments are doing that. I mean, it's cancer, cancer awareness, cancer prevention. I mean, it's just becoming more and more of, a, of the common theme for us. Um, I was just reading some articles the other day about it, and, um, you know, it's all about the particulates, and it's getting through the, you know, the gear these days and so on. And so it's just kind of interesting where thermal layering, you know, makes us stronger, and the gear we're wearing today is better than ever, and yet it still doesn't protect from the, you know, carcinogen particulates. So even if you wear the fireball gloves, <clears throat> nothing gets through. Fireball yes. gloves, the leather coat. We, we put a, I put a post up the other day with a leather coat hanging. It's one of my old leather coats. I never wore it. It was kind of like a nostalgia thing when I got to the firehouse in 94. And uh, and so, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it ended up, uh, somehow it ended up in, in my possession. And, uh, you know, <laughs> somehow. And, uh, you know, and it's just funny because some of the younger guys are like, what? Like, rubber, why would you wear that? And I'm like, you never got wet. Right. They were good for traffic. Yeah. <laughs> the one guy said it was good for like his adverse weather driving coat, you know, like open cab, you know, like so on. So back in the day. But anyway, yeah, that's funny. But um, so anyway, back to let's, let's get back to the story. So um, and then up through the ranks, captain now. Captain now. Yes, so sir. how did you end up? Can I ask how you end up in a hazmat company? Is yeah, that, no, is, absolutely. That's a good yeah. story. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. So I'm. I'm a Must have lost a bet or something. No, no, I wasn't. <laughs> nice. Tucker, some guys, some guys like it, so let them talk, will you? Yeah, you're going to insult our guest who's going to walk Let's off. kill this guy. <laughs> no, those are blue canaries. That's blue the cops, the blue canaries. Come on. This guy backhands you, you're going for a ride. Well, yeah. well these walls are coming down. Here. <laughs> so I, I'm the guy that... Uh, class comes available within the department or if there's an opportunity to you travel somewhere and, and t take a class, sure. uh, I'll jump on it. You know, it, it, if I can learn just a little bit more about something that I don't know, I think it makes me a better all around, not only person, but also a, a, a firefighter, number one firefighter. So, um, back in 2006, I took uh, our hazmat class. So Houston uh, puts on a hazmat class and it's taught by the, the Houston firefighters and you have to go through our particular hazmat class in order to uh, transfer into the to the hazmat station and so uh, hazmat began in 
October the 5th of 1979 and has always been kind of a prestigious place to be in our city. Uh, we have a huge petrochemical um, yeah, corridor, uh, our ship channel, and we have, you know, there's, there's one particular bridge over the ship channel. There's 14,000 uh, hazmat shipments that travel over that bridge in one 24-hour period. So transportation-wise, this is it's 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 crazy for those guys. And fourteen thousand shipments over one bridge in, in a day. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so uh, that was two thousand six. I was at a very busy engine company. We were making uh, on my shift alone that particular year. I looked back at some notes. We made ninety three working house fires. And so uh, busy, busy, and and I loved it. Yeah. I had a lot of t- had a lot of fun. Good crew, solid. You know, you step off a, a truck, and I looked at the other firefighter. He knew what I was going to do. I knew what he was going to do. The yeah. officer never even right. turned around and yeah. talked to right. us, you know. And uh, we had a lot of fun. So 2009 came, uh, a aircraft rescue firefighting class comes up. And one of my buddies that I was living close to says, hey, man, let's take this class together. We can work together. Uh, all right, I'm kind of a plane geek, too. Okay, cool. So I take the class. Huge scandal. Won't get into the details. Um, ARF, uh, so there's four stations in the ARF, three at the Northern Airport, one at the Southern Airport. Uh, of the 120 people that are on duty um, at, at the ARF stations, all four shifts, 30 of those left. So the uh, the chief over ARF, the battalion chief, we call them district chiefs, the district chief over ARF said, hey, look, uh, we need some people to come fill these 30 holes. <laughs> and I was about nine on the seniority list, so I got, I got moved uh, administratively over to ARF. And got in there, and it just wasn't my thing. But I was committed for three years. So, <clears throat> you know what? I'm not going to stay around this place. I'm going to start promoting and see if I can promote out. Sure. So, so I promoted up to driver. and um, You got to drive the ARF trucks? Got to drive the ARF trucks. It was so, fun. Yeah, it's, it's cool stuff. <laughs> we, were, we were, just a side note, we were out at Pierce a couple weeks ago, and we went through the ARF plant, and just sitting in those things, man, yeah. unbelievable. Oh, they are? Like, like a video game. They're like, like a video game. Everything's at your fingertips and your feet. And, like, you can control the whole rig, you know, a multi-million dollar rig sitting in one seat. Yep. Sure and, can. and you sit center, which yep. is yeah. so cool. Yep. But anyway, go ahead, Bear. No, and they perform like a race car. A lot of yeah. them do. I mean, <laughs> well, they have two yeah. giant engines yeah. in the back. Well, they said they were ready to move up to 70 miles an hour and flow water. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's it's insanity. Crazy. It is, yeah. Go, Absolutely. Go, yeah. You're watching the windshield at that point. <laughs> yeah, you are. So, um, so I spent a little bit of time at ARF, and then uh, I came out and drove a Chief for a while. Uh, which is a lot of fun for about 18 months. So that was, that's probably the best officer development that I can ever share with anybody was, was driving a battalion chief. And, and you get to see the fire from so many different yeah. perspectives. Oh, I want to, I want to talk about that in detail, but we'll get to it. Go ahead. Yeah, man. absolutely. And you, you get to, you get to hear what he has to say. You, you, you're listening to, um, you're in meetings with deputy chiefs and assistant chiefs and you just kind of figure out how this department works. And so, uh, and we'll get back, and yeah. I'd like to talk about yeah, of course. how people should be um, um, uh, raised into that position, I guess you could say. So anyway, I, I did that for about uh, 18 months, and I got promoted. So we don't uh, – our promotional system is firefighter, engineer, operator, captain, senior captain, district chief, deputy chief. That's the civil service promote, promoted ranks. So instead of lieutenant, we have a captain. Instead of captain, we have a senior, senior captain. captain. Right. <clears throat> so – I got promoted to to captain, and I bounced around a bunch of companies almost a, a, about a year, and 
one of my best friends got promoted to assistant chief of the training academy, asked me, hey, man, would you come out to the training academy and, and lead a couple programs for me? I thought, well, okay, sure, this is you know something different that I haven't done, but uh, sure, why not? So I did 14 months at the training academy, and we ran through a bunch of programs there, and, and uh, just it's been a lot of fun, good stuff. So um, hazmat, uh, the matter of fact, we were teaching hazmat incident commander to all of our district chiefs, and the district chief over hazmat came to me one day and said, hey, man, you're doing all this work for me. I really appreciate what you're doing. Uh, we've got a, a spot available, and I want you to put in for it. So I put in for it, and in August I got it. So I've been there. I've been in our hazmat for only about four months now, five, well, since August. So, uh, however, prior to that, the county, so kind of interesting down there in Houston. So our, our county, Harris County, is about 1,200 square miles. The city of Houston covers 670 of the 1,200 square miles. Wow. <laughs> There's two and a half million people inside the city limits. Outside the city limits in unincorporated Harris County, two and a half million people. 54 fire departments within that county, 140 law enforcement agencies. So on my days off, I work for the Harris County Fire Marshal's Office, which they support all the other 53 fire departments outside the city limits. They have a hazardous materials team. So a good friend of mine retired from Houston, went to Harris County Hazmat. He was assistant chief and said, hey, this is 2000, 2008. Hey, would you come work for me as a part-time Hazmat guy over here? It's making 25 bucks an hour to work a 124-hour shift. You know, do that once a month. That's a pretty good little gig. Right. So that's kind of how I got my feet back. <clears throat> and I did that for 10 years. And then uh, then this came up with, with, with the city, and so I, I moved over. Uh, being asked to put your put your application in for or submit your transfer uh, by the chief is kind of kind of an honor. You know, right. It does. Sure. Um, we changed our tradition to where the the member that wants to apply for that position has to go and ask the chief for permission. We changed that because it was uh, creating some uh, disparity and right. angst. And hey, look, you know we don't want this guy, so we're going to try to figure out a way to bump him out type thing. Now, when you look at these specialty units, you really have to make that team fit together, and people know need to know how each other's going to act. And there's some things that you know that happen outside of our control. Stuff that happens at home, stuff that uh, maybe health wise. That if you're not a good team member, when we're entering a toxic atmosphere, yeah, that can be deadly. Without it can not only be deadly to us, but it can be deadly to every other firefighter that's there supporting us. So, you know, we'd really like to see where, where we choose, pick and choose the right team members to come in and play. And it's not, I'm not looking for the best friend. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a best friend as an officer. I want the best team member, the right. best person that's going to play together. I don't care who you are, where you come from. You just got to have a good core group. And matter of fact, on my truck, we particularly, we have, we have two, two rescue body rigs and then one foam pumper. And uh, on my truck, I permanently assign one firefighter to that particular truck. He doesn't rotate to the other two trucks, uh, which has kind of made, uh, you know, a couple of the guys upset with that, but he's the senior man, 28 years in the department, 24 of that within hazmat. And so I want that guy. Yeah. <laughs> there no is doubt. my advisor regardless. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and of so, course. um, it, you know, I, I think we should be able to in our, um, specialties should be able to pick and choose those guys who's coming yeah. in who has an extra set of skills my driver he's a master electrician 
Right. You know, he's got a set of skills that he can look at, a, at an incident and go, "Hey, man, uh, let's think about this." And I'm going, "Never even occurred." I, I think you're, I think you're dead on. And a lot of these special special services in the Northeast, the bosses get to handpick basically the guys from the cream of crop of you know other companies, and they look for that special skill set, and they say, "You know, you're a rock climber, or you're this, or you're that, you're a plumber, construction." whatever, you know, an engineer, and, and they get to take that those skill sets. And when you could bring people like that into a specialty company where they are highly disciplined in their, you know, their orientation, like you guys are hazmat specialists, like this is your, this is your game. You got to be well-rounded and you're right. You got to have the right people in those positions. You know, guys hide all the time on an engine or a truck. Yep. They can hide. Yep. If you have a five-man truck or a six-man truck or four-man engine, and you're not to go into fires every day, guys can hide. Yep. It's just, it's a fact of life, you know? Um, you and your guys can't hide. No, <laughs> no. Right? We're, we're citywide. I mean, there's, we have a, our ETA, even run emergency sometimes. Holy crap. The, the city is 70 miles from, yeah, south, yeah, yeah, yeah. from the south uh, city limits to the north city And you're limits. the only hazmat company in the entire city. In the entire city, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it so it's seventy miles from southern uh, city limits to the northern city limits, and it's sixty miles from the east to west. And so uh, you know, with two and, and a half where million, are you centrally located? Then? No, we're on the east side, right next to the ship channel. Right. So, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we get part of our funding through uh, those sure. those um, refineries, and we are actually part of their Mavis. Um, in, if anything happens. And, um, but a lot of those refineries and so on will have their own teams as well. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. yeah so you're absolutely. you're offsetting their initial response. And we're, we're there as, as a support. Support. If we respond to a refinery fire, a lot of times most of the, the stuff that we'll do is research for them. And, gotcha. And collection of the paperwork, uh, getting reports together. I mean, we're just a huge support role for them. Okay. So, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, there's we had a trench rescue. So, you, you know, you were talking about some, some innovations earlier. So we had a trench rescue a couple weeks, uh, I guess almost a month ago, a month and a half ago. And um, <clears throat> it took us 45 minutes to get there, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, a guy had been stuck in the hole already for 10 minutes prior to the initial 911 call. Right. So we're there an hour after the incident actually happens. Um, it makes it difficult sometimes, you know, and really to... to an effective support however we like to keep the team together so that we play together practice together work together we're all together at one time so that's it's kind of why we've kept them all in one station at one time and that's that's for hazmat but you have that's rescue companies right three rescue companies right and tech rescue yep. and all that right so yes. when you go say so the hazmat team for a you actually went on the trench box yep. yeah so what are you more of a support like i'm just trying i don't know air monitoring Air so monitoring. We are their air monitoring crew. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that particular cool innovation that came out of that particular yeah. scene, um, 10 feet down on the ground, no shoring. Uh, it's about three feet wide. As I said, 10 feet down. Uh, box must have been about 15 feet long. Um, huge AT&T um, fiber optic upgrade throughout the entire city. There's no less than about 20 crews in the city right now. Digging holes, sending sending some optics wow. through through lines. So this particular crew out of Florida, um, the 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 uh, person in charge was operating the backhoe. He's digging. Uh, two guys help her. Uh, they jump into the to the hole. They help pull this line through, and they call it a missile. Where they're sending 
Uh, It's a weight, and it has uh, fiber optic attached to it, and they send it through a line really fast speed, and then it stops. And then they dig a little bit more, and they send it through. So anyway, so those two guys, they jump out of the hole, and uh, they go back over to the truck. Well, the guy's still digging, and he notices, hey, man, the missile came through. So he jumps down in the hole. Well, it sloughs off and traps him from about mid-thigh all the way up to to his chest. Um, So we get there, and send two guys over to the edge close to the spool pile. Uh, tell them send one monitor down next to the patient, send another monitor over. Uh, and the big thing is, is um, I want to make sure that not only the temperature is stable in there for that particular uh, victim, but we want to make sure that, 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 uh, um, uh, that the air is turning over and right. that even the machinery that's working around there isn't getting stagnant or that uh, carbon dioxide is not going in there and getting sure. trapped. And so um, we kept having a problem with our, 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 our lead. We have a big, long plastic tube that's attached to our monitors. Had a problem with the lead getting stuck into the dirt. And just yeah, kept, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, kept clogging it up. So, so uh, the firefighter you know, kept cleaning it, sending it back down. Of course, OSHA's on site. They're wanting to know what all the readings are. And uh, we tell them later. Anyhow, so we get back to the fire station, and one of the guys that – I like to have on the truck every day. Um, he says, hey, hey, Captain, what do you think about me putting a, uh, a wiffle ball on the end of this this line here? I thought, keep it from getting stuck in the dirt. I love he it. goes, absolutely. I love it. So we put a wiffle ball. Yeah. We cut a, a um, our first try was O2 tubing. Right. Medical call O2 uh, line. We took that tubing. We tried it. Did some super glue around it. Worked perfect. Then we took a golf ball wiffle ball. That it just yeah, yeah. I know exactly places. what you're talking about. Sure. And so it, it, there's nothing in the the, the 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 amount of air that it tests or pulls in, draws in. There's there's no changes in either wiffle ball um, compared to another unit sitting right next to it getting a, uh, another sample. So really cool innovation. That's something that we're going to put I, on YouTube. We yeah. talked about it the other day. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> I told him, I said, Trey, I said, dude, I want to I wanna, I wanna video this and put this on YouTube because – why shouldn't everybody else know about this? You know? Yeah. This is a cheap innovation. Well, feel free to share really with the National Fire Radio. Oh, absolutely. Be happy yeah, absolutely. We'd be happy to point it out there <laughs> yes, for you. absolutely. But I think, like, that's, and you know what I love is, like, you know, some of my favorite times in the firehouse and in the fire service, and I, and I can attest to this with a bunch of different guys in a lot of different firehouses, is, like, getting back to the firehouse and, like, doing something, creating something, or figuring out or solving a problem like that. And, you know, at the workbench and guys are trying different things or you're coming up with ideas I love that because firemen inherently are full of ingenuity. Yep. We have to get the job done 100% of the time. So we always have to find an answer. We always have to find a way to do it, right? And so that's cool. Like, I, I think that's fantastic. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, and it's, and it's simple. It's, like, easy. And it's just one of his guys saying, like, hey, man, we got to make this better. How do we make it better? Oh, I got an idea. Yep. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. You know, that's the fun part about being a, on a specialty team and those guys bringing those uh, that, that uh, special skill set from other areas is that they can take that difficult yep. position that you're in and kind of see it from a different lens and then all of a sudden start applying some of the stuff. Man, I remember when I was pulling a bunch of, uh, of electrical lines to that particular warehouse, I had to use this tool and, and it worked this way. And, man, why can't we do that? You know, right. when we got to overturn right. MC331, you know, what's wrong with that? So, yeah, really cool stuff. So, no doubt. Fun. 
So it sounds like you you like where you are right now. This is a good spot. Wonderful spot. Yeah. So so there's two captains. <clears throat> um, I'm on unit one. Uh, my cap the captain on unit two. He's got about 32 years in the fire service. Probably 24 years, 23 or 24 years of that is hazmat. Um, he was a um, radiological tech in the Navy prior to wow. coming in, into the fire mm-hmm. service. So the guy, that, that's his specialty, is, is radiological stuff. And um, so we all have a specialty in there. And I've got transportation emergencies, so I'm kind of into trucks and trailers and, and, right. and stuff like that. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Captain Rogers is, is uh, a radiological guy, a nuclear radiological guy, which is which is really cool, you know. So, if a radiological call comes in, Captain Rogers, he's he's the go-to guy. Uh, transportation call comes in, they generally you know look at me and, and say, hey, look, you know, who do we need to contact? You know, right. what size of bolt is this on this particular flange? And I could I could tell them, hey, when you're walking up there, you need to take a, a seven eight, you know, I mean, whatever it may be, and so. Um, that's the way we split up the team. I really like that. Is everybody takes a specialty, and and when you get when you're new on the team, you kind of for the first year, we want you to try a little bit of this, try a little bit of that, okay. and figure out what you may have a passion for, and then start taking the classes to specialize in that particular area. Mm-hmm. So, so that it, we we complement each other. Now we may end up with a couple of WMD guys, and we don't have a radiological guy, you know, which is okay. Um, the good part about that is some of the, the team members that were on the team that promoted and promoted out, they're a radio- radiological uh, specialty uh, somewhere in the city. And so I'll, I'll pick up the phone and call them. Yeah. Hey, can you come over here? You know, we need your, your radiological help. I'll, I'll tell dispatch to add, add you to the record. I, th- I just think, like, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to your stories, and I think it's great because I'm listening to your career, and you're, you've put yourself in a lot of different positions from – Coming online to go into the training academy, now a captain in the hazmat. Like you, well, you were a chief's aide, which I want to get back to. That to me makes you a well-rounded boss. And when you, I think you're, I think it's great because when you go up the line and you want to become a senior captain, and then you want to go to chief, like having things like hazmat under your belt makes you a better incident commander. Plain and simple. Absolutely. And I think that I think that's fantastic because a lot of times, not only that, but you have a department where you can do that though. Right. A lot of guys get hung up in a smaller department, not hung up, but they're in a smaller department where they might not have all this opportunity, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, and so, you know, I but mean. that's why you need to know your resources depending on how large or small your department is. Without a doubt, you and know, you still need you to have. know those guys. Yep. In a small department, you know when somebody has knowledge in this or knowledge in that, and that's part of being an incident commander. Come up, talk to me, let's see what we can do, work out a plan. You just have more resources. Right, yeah, yeah. And I think also, though, too, is where, you know, you have um, somebody in a smaller department, you still have to round yourself out. And so you need to seek that external training. And you need to, you know, whether you have a hazmat team or not, you should be versed in at least the basics or an operational level, you know. And when it comes to trench and confined space, like, you have to be able to at least recognize and understand and know the, the process and the resources and everything you need. So, you know, whether you rode an engine for 20 years, but you want to be promoted up or, you know, and so on, you still got to know that, you know. Um, you might not have the luxury of being able to get into that company and learn it for a couple of years, but to know it um, makes you a well-rounded and better firefighter, you know, and boss, I think. So, but anyway, sweet. So, I want to touch on a couple of things. You hit on uh, the fact that there's a bunch of guys, especially in the hazmat company, that have... 20, 30 years yeah, on the absolutely. job. 
So in the Northeast, we talk about this as a common theme on our platform. We talked about it off camera before. Um, it, we talked with a bunch of guys from San Antonio down uh, when we were on our Pierce trip, and they indicated that they had a lot of guys that were in their 30-plus year range on their department. And so whereas the Northeast kind of started kicking these guys out after 20, 25 years, and it just didn't pay for them to stay anymore. And so we started losing all this, uh, you know, the, uh, we're starting to lose all this experience off the line. And so how, I guess Texas is a little bit different in how you keep people in the pension system and so on. The guys from San Antonio were kind of explaining it. But I have to think that um, having guys like the guy that you don't move off your truck, 28, 28 years on the line, right, I think yeah. you said. Mm -hmm. And what a, what a valuable piece of, of mindset to have with you, right, as a boss. Absolutely. And I, go ahead. Yeah. I, I, so so it, it's, it's funny you're talking about capturing the, the, the stories, and, and it's, it's so valuable, and it frustrates me when, when I beg guys, man, just sit down and, and put this on paper. Yep. Well, I'm not a good writer, and I'm yep. not a good typer, and I'll, I don't care. I'll sit down, I'll video, and I'll sit there for three hours. <clears throat> I just want to listen. I agree. That's my biggest thing. I just want to listen. I want to take what I can from you, and and it may not be, it may not fit into where I need to, to fit into, but it, it, that little piece of knowledge, I may be able to tweak my um, my approach and and be successful with it. You know where we're at. So, so Chief McRae, who uh, started the Houston Fire Department Hazardous Materials Team, in December. Uh, I'm sorry, October the fifth, two thousand uh, nineteen seventy nine. Wow, October the fifth of seventy nine, um, ended up writing a book, and he wrote a book in in nineteen ninety four, if I'm not mistaken, and that was the last book that was written for our hazmat team, and we're one of the very first hazmat teams in the whole country. Um, I think we make we're probably the busiest in the country if you really look at it between all three fire trucks um and, and i only know one one person that has that book that's that's in existence from chief mccray no kidding and so uh i, I told him the other day i said we've got our 40th anniversary coming up in, in 19 i told him i said hey uh kevin i said can i have the book i really want to capture this digitally without put, a it, on, put it on a a thumb drive and yep. put it in a safe somewhere. Right. Number one, number two, I wanted to make copies of that and be able to actually print it into the book um, format and hand it out to the guys because they really need to see where we've come from, what these guys went through, yeah. and some of the the innovations that they really it's came awesome. up with. Yeah, and so and then why don't we write our own book? Right. Why don't we take the yeah. time and start chapter two? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, two point oh. Write right. our own book yep. and let's 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 go forward with it. Um, right now, I think our team is one of the strongest teams uh, that, that has been in the, in the Houston Fire Department. And there's so much diversity within the membership right now that <clears throat> we, if we don't capture this, then what's, what's tomorrow going to look like? Right. And, and so that's, that's, that's difficult. Um, you know, the, a lot of the senior men on the, on the job uh, – don't value the, the magazines like you were talking about, fire rescue, fire engineering, firehouse, um, because the Northeast doesn't know how we do it down here in Texas, you know? Uh, we don't have cocklofts in Texas. I get it. And so um, it, it's frustrating. As an officer, it's frustrating for me, for the guys not to say, you know what, a cockloft, we call that an attic or a void space or right. something like that, just a little bit different. Right. And why don't you share it? Why don't you share what we've done? <clears throat> a lot of our responses 
as far as fire-wise are lightweight construction. Right. You know? And you don't have a lot of lightweight construction up here. No, you know? it's, now it's, 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 it's coming yeah, in. Oh, it's coming without in. a doubt. I mean, this is what we're dealing with now. But, you know, I mean, we're throwing up houses down there in right. 90 days. I right. Mean, from the time that they uh, clear the, the land and uh, to the final shingle on the roof going, it's 90 days. And so, um, it, but, but back, to, back to the hazmat team and back to, to capturing some of this stuff. Um, you know, we... We all evolve, and, and, the, and the job is evolving. It's evolving away from really what we got into it for, and that's to make the fires and to come out looking all uh, you know, worn and tethered and stuff like that. However, there are still some practices that, were, that began yesterday that are still valuable for tomorrow, yep, and, and we've got to capture all that. So 18-wheelers, yep. um, they're not changing right. really too much. The engines maybe a little bit, but... Right. But a tractor trailer, some of the trailers, the MC 331s, 406s, and stuff like that, they're not changing, and they haven't changed a lot uh, at all since they really started making them. Mad. You know, we had a MC 331 with the LPG in it the other day that was built 1960, and there's not a lot of difference between the brand new one yeah. that's coming off the line today. Um, so uh, we, we gotta we gotta keep those, and we gotta capture it and pass it on to the next guy. Without so a doubt, I think I think really in your in your discipline, too. I mean, it's <clears throat> you guys never, ever. I know we say, you know, it's the cliche thing to say, right? Not every fire is the same, everything's different. But when you're into tech rescue and when you're into specialty stuff like you guys, I mean, every little nugget of knowledge that you learn on this type of trailer or this boat or this pipeline can only add to the betterment of, you know, the next response to that type of situation, right? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and so I think it's hugely important. I think that's. Incredible, and I love the fact that you recognize that and, and you want to do that because being able to put that all together to educate the guys and capture those stories, I mean, just to hit on what you said, like being able to sit around and talk to guys like yourself, I'm learning so much today, and it's just going to make me a better fireman and a better Absolutely. person. And yeah. so, you know, when these guys take all this with them and they leave and we don't get to get those stories back from them to try to educate the next generation up, I can learn just as much sitting at this table today with you than I could maybe on a training ground for an hour swinging irons. Yep. It's just different types of training and different types of experience, mm -hmm. but it's valued the same in my world. You know, sitting around with the senior guys and catching those stories, man, the things I've learned and, and heard of and then want to go try. You, you know, it's tough to find senior guys. Well, I know. No, I, I, right, <laughs> but, this is, but this is what we're doing, Especially right? Especially senior This is why we're here. So, so you know, you, you touched on uh, some stuff about 25 years and, and our pension system. And right. Uh, there's a lot of politics happening in Houston right now, and you just Google Houston firefighters um, and Proposition B, but I'm not going to get too deep into that sure. stuff. Uh, this is not the platform. Um, so in, in the 90s, uh, 74 on, we had pay parity with our police department. And in the 90s, the, the, the mayor was a former police chief. He broke that pay parity. So part of what we negotiated as firefighters and instead of having parity, we wanted to increase our pension system. And so our pension really was, and it was set by state law, it really was um, a nice, healthy pension. Matter of fact, when I got on the job, we were 98% funded, the pension system was. Our firefighter pension was, and uh, <clears throat> our, our police pension was about 60% funded. There's some, some decisions they made. Um, they, you know, there again, I'm trying not to get rat holed in that. So, we did. If you do 20 years, 50% of your pay, 
78 highest paychecks. So Christmas time comes along. Right. Everybody's yeah. on vacation. Right. You start working the overtime. Yeah. That's sure. one of your 78 highest paychecks. Right. So 20 years, 50%. All the way up to 30 years, you can get 80% of your pay if you're wow. retired in 30 nice. years. And then we had a drop drop system. The drop started out at seven years and then it increased to 13 years. So we had guys on the job up to 43 years of service nice. because of the pension yeah. and the drop. And so you could really capture, and you sure. knew that, hey, man, I'm going over there to work. Uh, with Chief Phillips today, man, that guy's been in. Yeah, and everybody's like, years. "Oh man, I'd love to sit next to him for the day." <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, right. And and that's one of the things you're like, okay, great. You know, it's not like my station where there's, well, at the time, um, a senior guy had 12 years in because right. it was just a busy mm-hmm. station. Mm-hmm. Three EMS apparatus, one fire apparatus was just a revolving door, and so um, yeah, you could really you could really capture a lot of that information just listening to them. Number one, number two. Uh, responding on calls with those guys too. So recently, our our pension has changed, and so now guys are starting to go out at the twenty five to twenty seven year. Um, or, matter of fact, the pay is is horrible. I had a rookie uh, when I was on an engine company before my training academy position uh, that was uh, claiming welfare. Um, yeah, fresh out of the academy, he was claiming welfare. Him and his. Uh, college sweetheart, four-year college sweetheart. She was a school teacher. They got pregnant. He uh, tells her, "Hey, look, you know, stay home with the kid," and and they filed for for uh, for welfare. So uh, bad, bad situation there. Um, now I've got guys that are we're averaging eighteen to twenty guys a month leaving with less than five years of service going to other departments. Because of the pay. Because of the pay. That's it's big, and that's that's happening up here, but not so much in fire, yeah. um, in police. Mm-hmm. A lot of the a lot of the um, cops are getting in the door. The department will put them through the academy. They get online for the year, and then within a year or two, they're transferring out because now they have the academy behind them, and now they can go to another department that pays twice as yeah. twice as good. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that that's been part <clears throat> of our our issue. Uh, so we're we are losing that 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 generation. Golly, Jeremy, we're just losing it big time. And, and this is this is what concerns the hell out of me. And and so for me too, like just people in the private sector, you know, they they look at the public sector and they talk about like pensions and then like, oh my God, you know, like we don't get that in the private sector. And this, but there's a lot of different things that have to be discussed here. And, and the one thing that sticks out to me all the time is like private versus public. Is that in a job like firefighting, it's not a white collar desk position, and where you know, you can you can replace a salesman or you can replace a marketing guy or an advertising guy pretty quickly, right? It, you know, a three-month, you know, three-month transition, we fire a guy or a guy retires, and then we just bring another guy into his position. Three months in, he's performing just like the other guy. That doesn't happen in the public sector, in police and fire jobs and EMS and things like that. Like, when we lose somebody with 25 years in because the private sector or government feels that we don't want to pay these guys anymore or we don't want to do anything else for them, it's a detriment to the profession. It's a detriment to public safety when we're chasing guys out of the job, when we should be embracing them because those guys are instilling these core values and life safety uh, life safety just concepts to the, to the next generation. And when we chase them out, Right, it's not a private. It's not private. This is public. This is this is a job. This is life safety. This is we pr- we put others before us, hands down. That's what this job's about. <clears throat> what happens is is when the private sector now starts to hold the hand and starts to tie our hands and pull it back in a little bit. What happens is is now we're starting to lose 
the seniority, the experience. And then also that translates down to the next generation that maybe this is just more of a job and not a passion and craft and putting the others before us. And that's what happens. The message starts to get passed down the line. And that sure. gets really scary. Yeah. Really and so, scary. And, and some of the storytelling <clears throat> has gone away where because you had such a gap, people would sit down, open up with the senior guy, and then, you know, a junior person would walk in and, you know, throw in a question. They would kind of, well, that changes things. Well, yeah, we, and we did it this way. You know, and the gap has gotten, has gone away. It's shortened. And now these people aren't telling stories. So, and maybe it's because of job security. Oh, I don't want to tell him that because then he knows my stuff and he's going to take my job. You know, but I'm finding that there's less and less of the stories being told, even amongst the senior guys. And, you know, they, they haven't been in as long as the senior guys when I was first in. I mean, they just stayed longer. But I also, but, but I also the think the stories aren't coming out from the mid guys. But I think part of the problem why we're not maybe getting as many stories as we used to, or the guys sitting around telling the stories, is because more and more the senior, the, the guys with all these years, one, they may not be getting the same level of respect that they were once getting, and two, with pension reform and things like that, we might be pushing these guys out so it makes them more bitter. And when they used to love the job and love the craft, and this is volunteer or career. Yes. When, when they used to love it because they did it because they loved it to the point now where they have all these years in and either, you know, big brothers pushing them out or the younger generations just in their eyes don't have the same things so they don't care to engage well, and it, I, it also may be because they're not asking those questions and they think they can find it on youtube or on but, the internet but the guys but the guys that share the stories and the guys that want to sit down and pass on the craft are the guys that truly love this profession hands down and again that's volunteer or career yep. no distinction if they love this if they love this craft they love this industry they're going to do everything in their power to sit back and educate and talk and lead and educate this younger generation so that they're just as good as they were. And we're starting to lose that. And so we got to do a better job at that. We it have also to. also depends on the kind of leadership. I mean, if you have leaders who can tell stories, that's great. And that's one thing. But you also need the young people to kind of muscle and earn their way and take those classes. Agreed. And I think that social media can be a slippery slope because you don't know who's putting stuff out there. But... It's great. If you want to do training, I think that's one of the best things about being a volunteer is that, like, if I want to go to the firehouse and pull up a YouTube video and try something and see how that works for me, I can do it. And I think that's very important. But then you kind of have to find the leader at every step along the way. You need somebody to tell you the stories with all the experience, but you also need somebody, like, to go into war with you. And you need somebody at each step of the process. It's all important. And I think that we do have a gap in the middle there. And I kind of think that that's the weak spot. Yeah, and there used to be a little more mentoring, like you gather somebody up that, you know, maybe you felt fond of or, you know, they launched onto you or something like that, and then you just kind of be with them and, you know, mentor them along. It's a, It seems like people aren't mentoring, or, and it's both sides. It's both ends it, not coming together. It takes facilitation. It takes both sides to find that common ground where they could both relate and want to relate. But it also takes a guy, like I know myself in my department, I'm one of the guys that facilitates the young to old and old to young. I like to get them together. I'll sit and we'll we'll have uh, you know a half hour discussion. I'm sure Sebi can back me up on this. And like I just like to get the 90 year old guy sitting at the at the firehouse to talk to the 18 year old kid 
And my biggest thing, like in the volunteer side, is that so many of my friends outside of the fire service can't understand how I can be friends with an 18-year-old kid and a 90-year-old man and it all works. And there's just that mutual respect. But somebody has to facilitate that respect. Somebody has to, because there is some miscommunication and some discord between older and younger, but usually we have that middle group that can bring those two groups together. And when we're missing the middle group, especially in the volunteer service, but it's happening in the career side too, when guys are getting out and then your senior guys are younger guys, the communication sometimes gets lost. And so when you have guys that are retired on the job and then they come back to the firehouse, right? And it's just, they don't have that same, like, you know, when they walk in, they don't, you know, not everybody knows who they are. Like, that's the thing. I mean, we gotta, we gotta try to bridge that. That's kind of one, two teams, like we're all one team in the fire department. You want to help the people. But it's when the older people don't have that connection with the younger people. The younger people, I know from experience, you think that we're doing all the muscle, we're doing all the work, why don't people know my name? Right. But if you're not there hanging out with the old timers all the time, if there's no middleman, that's when these two groups just kind of step on each other's toes. Yeah. And that's really how and it I should love, be. And I love having Heather here because she brings this young point of view, you know? And, and so, I mean, that... I, I, I just, I'm, I'm so excited because there's so much you're going to bring to the table. Anyway, Bear, let's get back to you. So, you know what I, you know what I love about this? So I, I made a couple notes because Rob's not here and Rob's always She's the note taker, yeah. right? And so on. But I noticed, uh, I see his pad all the time when he's there. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. Of course. Most and of the time he's just doodling. Yeah, he's right. But I made, there's, there's two things I definitely want to talk about. We're already like almost an hour in. That's how quick this oh, goes. Wow. Yeah. So what's what's fun about this, there's two things I really want to talk about. So I think the segue into the one thing is your time at the training academy. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting to me because coming off the line, willing to go into the training academy to learn that aspect of the job and then, you know, promoting out and going to the hazmat company and so on. But when you're in a training academy, you're dealing with in-service companies and you're also dealing with probies, like Absolutely. new classes. Yep. So we talk about it. I don't want to harp on it, but maybe mm-hmm. you have a point of view that I haven't or we haven't discussed yet about the newer classes coming in or city of Houston, how you guys promote the brotherhood or the sisterhood in the fire service is there, or tradition and culture, or do the, the new proby classes coming in, do they need to be, you know, is there the same level of, um, I don't know, togetherness or love for the craft? I mean, are you getting guys that transferred in from other and, departments? I and mean, and it just, would, would that be a helpful <clears throat> class if you had like a half hour class on half the, hour, how about like a four hour class? Well, you know. Yeah, I'm just saying. Traditions in your fire department. Or, you know, for us it would be in Bergen County. Right. Just so people could get the lay of the land and how all this came about, you know. So so you bring up some some interesting points. There's there's some politics involved. Of course, always. I'm going to try to stay away from those. Listen, yeah, (laughs) Um, absolutely. (laughs) So, um, but however, so two totally different populations. The long track class guys that are just coming off the street, right. nothing about the fire service. Uh, many of them are, have a military background, okay. So they understand the cohesiveness of yeah, the team. It's good. They understand it's the uh, the rank order system, etc. However, the fast track class, those guys, most of them want to be there because they think Houston is the cream of the crop, which is really good. A lot of fun. Sit down, and talk to those guys. So our fast track, typical fast track class, as I mentioned earlier, is about eight weeks long. That is taught by members in the field. Mm-hmm. So we'll bring a subject matter expert from the field in to teach hoses, right. um, et cetera. So you do get a lot of the, the culture 
of, hey, look, this yeah. is what's going on out in the fire station. This is what you can expect going tomorrow uh, to see this engine company, etc. And then generally we'll bring in those instructors for if we're bringing in a ladder company to show them, hey, look, this is how we have a Houston ladder set up. We don't have any pumps, water. There's right. nothing on a Houston yeah, it's a ladder truck. truck. True truck. True right. truck company. And so um, we'll bring in those guys that we know specifically are really good about passing on that culture as well when they have that four-hour time block to, to, to show off their, their company. So when we go back to the, the, the long track classes, those are taught by uh, members that decided to leave a post in the field and come to the, to the academy. Now, we have engineer operators all the way up through a district chief that are teaching long track classes. So... Um, I can tell you what my personal feeling about the district chief, he gets out there and he is, he's one of the guys. He, he's putting on his shorts and his t-shirt and he's running with them. He's uh, advancing line with them. He's showing them what I think a true leader should be. Um, and he does a real good job bringing in that culture too. Uh, so we've got uh, our senior captain over that was at one of the busiest companies in the city, downtown Houston, Station 8. Another guy brings in the culture and he is very by the book as well which i really like that too um it shows that the the hey when you go out there you're going to have some officers that are by the book and you better follow it black and white there's no gray area in there and then you, then we have another uh, senior captain uh female she shows those cadets hey look there is a gray area. It's okay to understand this. It's okay to ask some questions, not all questions, but it's okay. <clears throat> so, so that's how uh, we've they've built the, the academy um, uh, culture and to bring in the, 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 the old stories and this is what to expect when you go out there for the new, new time. Um, unfortunately, we do not have a four-hour, eight-hour block, and I think that would be really, really good. Yeah. You know, there's some guys I can think of off the top of my head, um, Senior Captain Dale Jenkins. Um, that guy can sit down and tell some stories, and he's written a bunch of stuff on Facebook, and I keep stealing it off of there, and I'm going to put it in this book I'm yeah. talking about. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> and, and I told him that the other day. Uh, no, you're not going to do that. Yes, I am. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, but I would love to bring Dale in. Problem, you know, Dale is so smart, has so many stories up here that he'll he'll go down this rabbit hole, right. and five hours later you'll still yeah. be on that yeah. rabbit hole. And like, come on, Captain, let's go back over this way, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so I love that. Yeah, I love no, I, I do too. Uh, but I, I wish there was uh, something that we could. We, we don't have it anymore. A matter of fact, you know, with the budget, we're we're having to cut cut more and more classes out of. You guys always uh, have to do more with less. Yeah, mean, absolutely. So it, it, it's been difficult. Um, we rely on the guys. So we started a mentor program. And so uh, one of the mentor programs is uh, open up applications. We kind of go through, see who's had the training, who's got, got the experience, um, who we know has a, a good um, uh, personnel file as well okay. from, their, from their officers and stuff like that. And, and so we let those uh, come in two hours a week and then they mentor that particular firefighter. And a lot of times what it ends up being is just like this, is that four or five other uh, cadets will come in and sit down with that one particular firefighter, driver, captain, whoever it may be, and uh, and they'll start asking questions and just telling just stories. Think about so, that. Like, that is awesome. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I just, the, the, what can be passed on, I mean, just in our 90 minutes, we're going to sit here today. Sure. And what we're going to learn from each other and just take away from today. And that's why I sit back. All these all these interviews we do, I just sit back and 
I take away, and like if nothing ever happens with National Fire Radio other than this, this is awesome. Yeah, it is a great coffee clutches. Absolutely, yeah, right. man. I mean, this is this is what it's about. Yeah, but yeah. I wanted to ask in Houston. Um, I've uh, we have uh, through our platform, we've gotten to know um, a brother down there um, <clears throat> in another Texas department where they're growing, like you said, building homes in ninety days. Yeah. So the areas are growing so fast that they're opening up firehouses so fast, and departments are growing at such a rapid pace. That there is no tradition and culture in a lot of these firehouses. You walk in, right, you walk in, fresh paint, it's like sterile, and now you work there. And it's only a building you work in and not like a home. I right? think it comes from the firefighters. It does, like, but, what it, is but it takes it's time, a series right? Of stories and lived experiences. And yeah, but it, it, look what happened at Bridgeport. How they built that brand new firehouse and they took that old system, I agree, Gamewell system. Oh wow! And they brought it into the firehouse, nice. and it's become a part of it. I, I agree, but when you're building out that many stations so fast because yeah. the population is growing, you're also building out the numbers in firefighters, and so you're bringing in so many new people right. that it's hard to fuel. You, you have to create traditions right. and you have to create create culture. And so in Houston, do you have like company pride, like individual companies? Like you handed me your company patches today here, you know, for Hazmat and the, and the uh, company you were on down by the airport and so on and so forth, which is super cool. But I know like in the Northeast, I get a lot of people that reach out to us and, and they're, there's almost some type of uh, jealousy as to the Northeast, because there's, it's so rooted in culture and tradition, and that these companies have a company motto for a hundred years. You know, they're celebrating their hundredth anniversary or more. And so, for me, like, I, that's all we know. Sure. For you, is that commonplace in Houston? Yes. Okay. It, it, there are some stations that that's very commonplace. There's cool. other stations, the slower stations. Yeah. Um, they don't end up having the, that culture and, and 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 passing it on, which is yeah. The woo woo of the group, remember? Yeah, uh, yeah. Which, 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 which is kind of difficult for me. You know, I go in and I start thinking, man, this place is bare. And yeah. what are the stories? Yeah, and there's okay. no stories at all to be told through pictures, through right. um, street signs, yep. whatever it may be. There's zero stories on the wall. So I, I don't do well in those situations I at you. all. Uh, but but station eight, station seven, sixty eights, fifty ones, twenty eights. You, you got to go to station twenty eight if you really want to see a story being told. Go to Station 28, phenomenal. A guy on the job for 40-some-odd years uh, put all of his personal money into making sure that that history was captured there. Uh, phenomenal. Um, Write that down. <laughs> so so some, things, some things that you really um, you know, were touching on earlier was, and I mentioned a little earlier, too, that the size of the city of Houston is 670 square miles, and that the unincorporated part of the county is almost as big as the, the, the city itself. The problem there is our volunteers are no longer. Yeah. We are transitioning to these combination departments, yeah. which really look like a full-time department with a volunteer. We're going to keep you around just to make everybody happy. The problem is we don't have enough firefighters to staff those stations, so who works at those stations? The Houston guys right. on their days off. Yep. So they're all working there. So they do bring some of those traditions. They do bring that culture. However, it's from Big Brother. Mm -hmm. And the volunteers that are in some of those stations are right. really looking over going, well, you think you're the biggest, the baddest. Yeah, the you best. guys are coming in and yeah. take, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. So there, there ends up being some, some issues, but... I think there's that common ground, mm -hmm. and there ends up, I, I can think of a couple off the top of my head, there ends up uh, 
guys embracing each other, and you will see some of that history in some of those new stations. Uh, I can't say all of them. Uh, they're going up crazy, like you said. Um, but but you, you, the, the, the guys that have been on the job for a long time are going over to the old stations and, and bringing some of that uh, great. history with them. It's so important. The, the, the game well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I hadn't seen that at, at all down there. Um, Tell you that. Do you know, are you familiar with it? Uh, oh, yeah. oh yeah, absolutely. We have it in our old uh, fire museum. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Old fire museum station seven, and they have the whole system in there, which is really really. Cool. I've never been to Houston that I know of. Got I don't remember. Yeah, love to, Got love to. Down. So, but um, awesome. And then um, you know, just want to get into one other thing that I think, and you hit on it too, and I'm super excited to talk about this because it's not as common. Uh, all over the country, but the chief's aide or the chief's driver or chief's what, buggy. Chief's, yeah, the yeah. buggy, right? The buggy, Depends right. on where you're from, right? That's right. right. Yeah. So, um, there, man, hit, like, explain that time to me because you said that that was some of the best stuff you've done. I mean, you know, learning and hit on it, bro. Ab- absolutely. Officer development, I think, <clears throat> pardon me, one of my colleagues at the training academy, we sat down and talked about this for probably eight or 10 hours one day. And uh, so, most of our district chiefs within the Houston Fire Department have 20-plus years of service in. Uh, we do have a couple that have promoted up within about 14 or 15 years. They hit the, the promotional test really right, and they came out in the top X amount. Uh, so they didn't spend a lot of time as a captain. They didn't spend a lot of time as a driver. They didn't spend a lot of time as a firefighter, which um, there become some issues with that. I get it. So my particular chief had uh, 32 years of service when I got to driving him, and I'm sorry, 34 years of service, and he went out uh, with 36 years. So the good thing about it was he promoted the chief at 30 years. So he was only a chief for about four years. However, he was a a captain for 10 and a senior captain for about six. So he had a lot of good company officer experience in there. So as a driver, I came in and I saw a lot of good company officer um, uh, knowledge and he passed that on to me. You know, hey man, handle this situation. Sit back, listen on that situation. Um, interact with these guys you know, this way. Uh, and then some of the my fond memories of this was our, our chiefs meetings. So as the, as the chiefs aide, you go to the other meetings with the other district chiefs and the deputy chief and the assistant chiefs and the fire chiefs, and you really get to see. Uh, where the, the the department's trying to move and and how it's trying to move and how they they're they're dealing with some of the issues and uh, water supply for example water supply became an issue on a particular warehouse because uh, the nearest plug was was two thousand feet away and wow. we don't have uh, more than five hundred gallons on any fire truck right so. Uh, warehouse fire with uh, a lot of inline pumping. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what do we? What's a nurse line too? And and not necessarily. That's not something that we talk about because we've got a fire hydrant on every corner. Right. And so, um, you sit there and you listen to these chiefs talking about it and going back and forth. And you know, this is what I think you should do, and this is how you should do it. And I'm I'm sitting there going, wow. This is really, really yeah. cool. This is, and we're flies on the wall. Yeah. All the chief's aides. Of the inner working, right? Are, like, are, are along the back wall. sure all the coffee's good on this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you're listening to yeah. it, too, yeah. as well, you know? Um, and so, not only that, but you get to look at um, each firehouse within your particular district, which mine had six, um, how the culture's so different, too, and, you, and how the personnel, and it could be the formal leader, 
that drive that culture, or it could be the informal leader that drive the culture too. One of the fire stations, slowest stations in the city, had an informal leader that drove the culture that we knew we could always count on those guys over here, but it was because of that informal leader. And if he was off the fire truck that day, you never knew what you were going to get. Even with the even with the regular captain, the I regular get it. chauffeur, I get that. Com- I get that get. completely because a lot of times, I mean, I just know, you know, and especially now we have younger officers coming online. The senior guys that are on those companies, they kind of fuel the fuel the uh, discipline and the yeah. growth and the know how and mm-hmm. so on. There's no doubt. There's no so, doubt. So as a as a as a firefighter, a driver, a captain in the fire station. I would have never seen that until, yeah. uh, unless I was a chief chauffeur. Yeah. But you also need, as a chief chauffeur, I think you need somebody who is uh, educated in multiple disciplines, as you were right. saying, prepares you for that next call. So there again, with a little bit of hazmat background, a little bit of ARF background, my chief thought I made the perfect aid for that particular station, which sat at awesome. the end of the runway for that particular yeah. fire, uh, right. for that particular airport. So, and he would look at me, hey, look, we got this, this uh, wheel fire on this particular aircraft. What do you think we should do? And I would tell him, okay, this is what ARF is going to do with that particular wheel fire, and this is what we should do with our companies. And so very, very easy, uh, very way to work around it. But it, it um, you know, that, that, that discipline of, of being very diverse, I think, is probably one of the main things that I, that. It, for me, a chief's aide needs so many. Um, so many places don't have chief's aides. No, yeah, they just don't. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I know, like you know, the city does, and yeah. you know, a bunch of other you know uh, metropolitan cities, but the smaller cities can't afford them. No. They don't have mm-hmm. them, right? And I know in a lot of places, the chief's aide is you know on structural fires, they're the eyes and ears on the floors above and and out back, and and they do so much on behalf of the chief that that is such a prestigious position to be in. Because they're treated like the chief and respected like the chief because he's that person, he, she, whoever, is bringing back all this information and processing that information to the chief so that the chief can make the right decisions. And I just, I, I think a lot of people aren't familiar with that position. No. And, um, and I think that's a really unique topic that we should probably dive into yeah. on another whole episode yeah. just dedicated to it because like you said i mean the, the amount of stuff you got privy to just because you were in that seat and what you could do and the decision making and what goes into the decision making it's awesome you know some some <clears throat> things that the two experiences that i had there um that i can think of that come to mind uh, we were the first in an apartment fire that wasn't even in our steel alarm territory it was in another steel alarm they were out they happened to be out on a wreck that that uh, engine and truck company was on a wreck on the freeway so the first thing I did when I pulled up, I said, Chief, I'm, I'm going to do the 360 for you. You're right here at the buggy. Right. And everybody's going to show up to the buggy. Uh, that's the office side. I'm going to do your 360. And I'm going to tell you all your points of access, et cetera, right. and come right back. Sure enough, by the time I got back, the, the first in engine company was pulling in. We were able to give them the, the exact lowdown. Yep. And that happened quite a bit sure. um, uh, with, with us in that particular district. So uh, another particular fire, we mutuated with a, with a company uh, or a city outside, and their radio system and our radio system, we couldn't patch them together. Hmm. There was no way to patch them. So uh, very difficult to bring my resources in and help you play on your, your sandbox sure. uh, without being able to talk to you unless it's face-to-face talking. When we're talking about four 
different uh, eight-unit apartment buildings that are burning at this point, I need to be able to talk. At least the chief needs to be able to talk to all of our guys. And so one of the things I told my chief, I said, hey, man, I'm going to go, I'm going to go get a radio from Humble. I'll wear their radio, and I'll listen to our radio. I'll have one one mic in this ear and one mic in that yeah. ear, and I'll be able to you know give you what's going on and, and help direct this. So uh, a lot of times guys that didn't think about the radio systems not uh, being able to, to communicate. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't our guys' fault. The, the patch system at our dispatch, it wasn't their fault. It was This was a brand-new system that this particular city had brought up, and they didn't have the software to patch into our, right. our our system. I think I think it's pretty interesting because I mean you are a massive metropolitan department, and so like you know going mutual aid. More and more, I talk to some guys from different cities, like San Antonio. It was the same thing. Like they're like, oh yeah, all the outskirts and outlying. Like we'd call mutual aid into our own fires, even though we had companies available, but they were just closer because yeah. they cover such a yeah. vast area. You know, here in the Northeast, you know, we do mutual aid a lot of times. The the outside companies go into the city to cover not new york city new york city rarely ever gets outside assistance um but um but other little cities and so on you know four engine two two truck type cities um they're always backfilling with the companies around them and so interoperability is massive and it's huge and it's an everyday conversation but i can foresee on a large metropolitan department we're self-sufficient in a way you know but but yeah i mean this day and age there needs to be a way to communicate and especially if you're working with others outside um there needs to be a way so yeah yeah. well you know or it it, it, i think it takes one of the big difficulties we had uh, after hurricane harvey was um there wasn't a a memorandum of understanding signed with any one of the other 53 fire departments. Wow. And yeah, so, we had that in New York, New Jersey with 9-11. Yeah. No, absolutely. It sure did. Um, so moving forward, uh, we've got to start signing those uh, down in our area because we are self-sufficient, just like we were saying with the city. Right. I mean, rarely ever. We only have – we surround a couple of little cities, and we um, – Mavis them uh, and and on some of our box assignments when we Mavis into their area for their box assignments, but uh, everybody else it's like you know um, we got it we don't need it and we can pull I could pull from the other side of the city with a thirty minute drive time run lights and sirens and that company will will be able to do the job that we expect them to do our hoses will marry up yeah the, right the, but but on the other the end though you, you brought up a good point though Harvey Katrina these massive, uh, you know, natural disasters that can occur in a, in a large metropolitan city like yourself. I mean, like, when that hits, I mean, look at, like, New Orleans, right? Katrina, I read something in your bio mm-hmm. that you were, I guess, were part of the recovery and, and operations there. I was on our USAR team yeah. at the time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and so, um, you know, you might have all the resources, but, man, I'll tell you, like, Sandy in New York City, we were we were, yeah. we were part of that. You sure. know, I mean... And, and so on. So you, I don't care how big your department is. At some point, you know, something's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. You know, and no doubt. So, I mean, I just, I think that's, um, that's incredible though. And I, you guys, have, when's the last time you went? So what was the biggest natural disaster that you've seen down there? I mean, you guys get a lot coming off the Gulf, right? I mean, you guys are in. Harvey was probably the biggest okay. that we've had. Um, there was 50 inches of rain within two days time. They actually, my wife is a geologist. She's got a PhD in geology. She's she's the the nerd, uh, the breadwinner of the family. I got the, the fireman of the group. You yeah, know? my wife's a, my wife's a hell of a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> yeah, too. Right. I got it. The I smartest it. decision I ever made was marrying <laughs> yeah, her. Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> that's right. No doubt. So, 
but she was telling me through her her uh, her little community that that the actual land uh, surface within the Houston area sunk an eighth of an inch huh. because really? of that I much rain put that wow. much weight, weight. on on the, that's uh, incredible on the, yeah yeah just just crazy so uh, yeah so back to this uh, Mavis where we're talking about a little bit earlier our, our mutual aiding um, there were we had at the time about 40 rescue boats within the the, the the metropolitan area there in Harris County. Now we've got over 120. But the big, big issue was I knew Jeremy had a rescue boat, you know, six districts away, and I needed one here. So I'd call Jeremy on the phone and say, hey, man, can you bring your rescue right. boat over? And you'd drive by 30 yeah, or 40 <laughs> rescues to get to me. And so uh, the whole new system, we could talk about it later, um, but we've actually gone into an agreement with the county and the other fire departments to, uh, to actually uh, pool our resources in the time of a natural disaster yeah. to where uh, I don't get on the radio at my particular station to ask for a rescue boat from the closest station, or from, from a particular station, I'll get the rescue boat from the closest station regardless right. of what, right. what agency it is. So, and we're doing that all through a, a software system. Pretty cool stuff. So, yeah, anyway, no yeah. doubt. That's cool. You know, some of the things I want to touch on real quick before we get out of here yeah. is um, what's tomorrow look like? Mm. And some of the things we've got to really look at is tomorrow. Um, big, big issues that have been in the news lately, the active shooter, of course, stuff. Yep. And, and that's not our pool. We don't right. our, our sandbox, active shooter is not our sandbox. But guess what? You better start getting ready to play in that sandbox. And if you're not ready to play... You're, you're way behind the, the yeah. ball. And, um, you know, that is a police. In, in, in the city of Houston, we always looked at it as, hey, look, that's an emergency medical uh, scene. And so we're there. We're the incident commanders. Uh, when that's a police scene, anybody shooting, I don't have anything to protect myself when somebody's shooting at me. That's a police scene. And so we're moving towards this, hey, look, the cops, this is their particular show. And we need to come in and support them medically. Right. But not only that, how many different police departments do you guys have right around here? Every little yeah. town has their own police department, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So a call goes out that there's a shooting in the school in Harrington Park. I can tell you what, right now, one of the police officers from this particular uh, uh, police department will be responding right. there, regardless, okay? Now, how about us? Maybe, maybe your truck's staffed here in Hohokus, and... They know they've got a school full of kids that are being shot up. Hohokus going to go over there? Because one of the other trucks is not staffed. Harrington Park's not staffed right now. Right. Hohokus, it may be one of the fire trucks that goes over there. I'm just saying hypothetically. No, you're right. So we have got to start training together going forward. Yeah. And you've got to get a whole core group of people and looking at these different type of all hazard calls a lot that we're of responding that, to. After Columbine, a lot of that happened in this area, but it's faded since then. Yeah. Our police department, our ambulance corps, our fire department all had radios that we all had frequencies to. Sure. All you needed to do was change the bank. Yeah. Since then, that's changed. Yeah. Now the police have gone back to their private, you know, where we can't talk to them, we have to go through a relay. Which the reason why it was designed was just for that Columbine situation. Absolutely. You might have the engine parked outside of the uh, school, 
there's nobody in it. It's just there as a blocker. Sure. You know, but a policeman comes out, he's been shot at, and he doesn't have his radio anymore. He can crawl in the fire truck, go to the bank, and talk to people. Easy. The, and what came out of Columbine was all these one-man tanks showing up, yep. and no one could talk to each other. Right. So that's what we brought back out of that. But now we're changing back because we haven't had that answer. Sure. I think, um, you know, in this area, it's pretty interesting. Just in northern New Jersey, there's a lot of non-interoperability where they where there shouldn't be and um and that has to be addressed on our level but you know this is this is a national platform and we talk about there are so many departments um and i'm sure houston's one of them that is taking the lead in understanding knowing and how to address you know situations like this but it needs to be on a large scale all the way down to the small scale to our local you know there's no doubt um rob i wish rob was here because um rob outside of all of this has a firearms training company that he runs and he also does lectures on school shootings sure. and uh, and the emergency response and the first responder uh, response to it and so rob is very well versed in that and he's also uh, well versed in um mental health and critical instant stress which i know you're uh, involved with as well absolutely yeah. yeah and so you know this is this is definitely a, a hot topic in the industry um and it's scary the fact that we have to talk about it sure but it's got to be talked about yeah um, and I, I appreciate you bringing that up, and I, I, I'm feeling that you are part of, you know, maybe the design team for it or something down in Houston, or you have a background in it, or it's just the law enforcement fireside in you, or... I heard cats, you know, down there. You, you ever heard cats before? <laughs> right? So, yeah, it, so there is a little bit of background there. Um, it, it's, it's, but, you know, not only, back to the whole platform, yeah. not only capture the past... But also, what does tomorrow look like? Yeah, we've got to be the, those those senior members on the truck and in the departments have got to be the ones to say, "What's tomorrow look like for her? Mm -hmm. What's tomorrow look like for him? Yeah. And what can we do to make it better for them going forward?" Not only tell the stories of yesterday, yeah. but hey, guys, you need to be the ones to nudge and uh, let's talk about this training uh, that that I found on YouTube. Hey, we need to be the ones that that nudge uh, the process of. Let's get everybody back together in the same room. Let's start working together. You know, I, I know you make the same calls with the same cops, the same calls, the same EMS. However, there's a cop that's detailed here that you don't know. Right. However, you may make something on the GSP mm -hmm. uh, that, that you've never responded with somebody else. And the best way to do that is exchange that business card before the, 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 the disaster happens, whether it's a fire, a shooting, sure. or an, an accident. I think that's to, we we gotta we gotta be pushing that as well um, going forward is is sitting down starting to light the fire. Do I have the answers? No, she may. Right. Some of her experiences, she may, and uh, and let them run with it. Hey, get after it. I'm back here trying to tell you the stories and bring the stories forward, but I want you to start thinking about this and, and let. You and a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with the fact that this industry is ever evolving. Yeah. And, and that, you know, we, at the end of the day, I mean, as cliche as it sounds that, you know, when uh, somebody needs help, they call the fire department. In fact, you know, this day and age, more and more people are relying on us and the police and EMS to do more and more for them. Our population is not keeping up with the population. Our fire, right. EMS, I'm with police, you. Right. we're not keeping up with the population growth of the United States. So we really, really... We can't hope and pray of what people think uh, think that we're valuable. You know, we've got to really start looking at this and, and, 
and uh, approaching it from a different perspective. And it takes progressive leadership. It takes mm -hmm. leadership that understands and acknowledges that the job is ever-changing, and they have to be willing to sign on to the new, follow the new trends, understand, learn. If the, the day you stop learning, you know, is the day you're out. I mean, yeah. you just, you know, and I, I hate, like, throwing things out like that because people throw that crap out there all the time with different sayings, oh, you know, and this and that. If you're not learning, you're, you're dying, you know. like, But in... In some situations, it's the God's honest truth. Like, you can't stop learning and you can't stop training. And so if we're going to become parts of an active shooter scene or chemical war, or look at all the white powder calls I bet yeah. you guys went on 10 years ago. when We're still started. going on. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that was something the day earlier, somebody got white powder. They're like, what the hell is this? And threw it in the garbage. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like everything evolves. And so I, I, I agree with you. I mean, we have to continue to better ourselves and the service we provide to the end user. That's yeah. it. It's our job. Yeah. Even is. outside the industry, like everything's evolving. The science, you don't know what's inside anything that's burning anymore. It's so much mm. like synthetic and chemicals. And Jesse, you were talking about natural disasters earlier. Those are on the rise too. So not only do you have human man-made issues with population, with the active shooters, but you also have all these storms and you have all these new technologies, whether it be transportation or building construction that just being a well-rounded person in general, taking classes, pursuing outside interests, I feel like is so valuable. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're right. Good. Yeah. So what's next for you? I don't know. I've got a, I've got a, 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 a um, wife that uh, has been putting off promotions um, for my, my love of the Houston Fire Department. If yeah. I get 20 years there, then uh, we're going to look at something. We're going to look at something else. If it, if it's moving back up this way, then great. Uh, if not, then I'll stay there at least 25 to 27 uh, is the plan now. The, the original plan was 33. Um, so the 20 in the pension and then, then 13 drop, but now that's all changed. Uh, I, I lost a considerable amount of money, so um, I need to follow her and let her promote up. Sure, and, of course. Uh, and do what she wants to do. So, and that's we got a two-year-old, and I got a one-month-old at home. So, uh, the two-year-old is uh, wrapped right there, uh, yeah. around her finger. Of and course. So the the one-year or the one-month-old, he uh, uh, of course he'll be my hunting buddy and nice. all that kind of stuff. So that's fantastic. Yeah. So. Well, listen, man. I mean, I can't thank you enough. This was cool. I know you didn't know what to expect. I mean, we kind of just reached out to each other while you were up here and yeah. so on. But, I mean, we've been going an hour and a half already. I mean, it goes quick. We could sit here all day. Oh, but, we could. Uh, yeah. Last question real quick. Yeah. How'd you get the nickname Bear? I was just oh, going to ask good. that. Good, 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 good story. So, so yeah. <laughs> I forgot all about yeah, that. Yeah, right. <laughs> you stopped our conversation. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Semi, yeah. Semi, well done. Yeah. Heather, just blurt it out next yeah. time. Don't, don't be afraid. <laughs> So uh, I was born in Waco, home of the Baylor Bears, and seven pounds, eight ounces, 21 inches long, uh -huh. normal sized kid. And uh, my mom took me in for my two month checkup, and, and the doctor said, uh, Hey, what have you been feeding this kid? And I said, Well, he's hungry. Every time he's crying, I'm feeding him. The doctor said, Well, he's growing way too fast. We need to put him on a diet. So I went on my first diet at two months old. Okay? <laughs> All you other folks that are going on these New Year's resolution diets, yeah, you know, yeah. I got you beat. So so went back for the four-month checkup, and the doctor said, uh, I told you to put him on a diet. And my mom said, well, he was on a diet, but he's been kicking, crying, and screaming. He won't sleep at night, this and that. And the doctor said, you know what? Take him off a diet. He's going to be a Baylor bear. <laughs> so they called me Sugar Bear until about sixth grade. Or, I'm sorry, six years old. I got to first grade. 
and everybody's poking fun of the sugar bear. Oh, uh, yeah. All absolutely. Right, drop that sugar part of it, and I'll just be bad. Fair. So there's a lot of Jason Wilsons in this world, and you can just Google that all you want to all day long, and you'll find all sorts, multiple stories about that. So about seventh grade, uh, there was a Jason Wilson in the sixth grade. I got his discipline slips because, remember, nothing was electronic at the time. Everything was carbon <laughs> copy paper. This is back in the 80s. And so, um, so I'm Jason O. Wilson. He was like Jason X. Wilson or something like that. So when they went to file the discipline slip, it went in my file. And my dad said, if you ever got a pop at school, you got a pop when you come home. Of course. So, uh, or two pops when you got home. So uh, I got a pop for nothing. And it was because of Jason X. Wilson. And so, uh, <laughs> so from then on, I said, you know what? It's going to be a bear because there's not a lot of bears in this world. Maybe somebody's chocolate lab running around is a bear. <laughs> Uh, there's not a lot of bears in this world, so we'll, we'll just stick with bear. So everybody knows. They don't know. The guys at the station, who's this Jason guy? <laughs> you know, you know, a piece of paper that comes across or whatever. So. Uh-oh. Right. Oh, right during the story, Seb. Right. So do you remember what you said? Two pops at home. Two pops at home. Oh, no. This is why we have editing. That's good. Yeah, exactly. Magic editing. That's fantastic. We still got a lot of well, listen, yeah, thank you. I mean, I can't thank you enough for being here. This so, was cool. I yeah. want to extend the invitation. Come to Houston anytime. You got, you food down there. You got room in your coat. You're heading back next week, right? I'll, yeah. I'll <laughs> Wait, no, you got a two-year-old and a one-month-old. Right. 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 I'll fly that. out. I'll meet you there. So, yeah, um, uh, anytime. You guys thank want you. come down there. We got, we, got a, we got a seat on the fire truck. We'll throw you on there and let you Great. ride around. Cool. And, let, me, let me ask you. I have to ask because, to me, it's just – it's. I always say this, and it, it is humbling to me that what we've started here, what, the people we get to meet, and like, I just, I, my, my phone, you know, kids under 30 don't know what a Rolodex is, but like my Rolodex and my phone yep. is just incredible because I've talked to so many people. Do you know what a Rolodex is? Yes. All right. <laughs> so, but you know, and it's, it's incredible. And, and then to get invites like that is, is, you know, just mind numbing to me, but, and I thank you and we will take you up on that. I can assure you. But my thing is, is like Texas, like how'd you find us? Just on Instagram or on Facebook? Like I'm just curious. Instagram. Instagram. I got, got rid of Facebook when I got married. There was way too yeah, many. Yeah, I can understand that. I got that. married five years ago. There was way too many uh, skeletons in the closet. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Smart so man. So I started Instagram. Yeah, I want to I stay married. I love my yeah, wife. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, uh, Instagram. And I'm not... I don't have a lot of friends on there, and I'm real picky and choosy right. with that stuff. I don't want to see a bunch of noise, and right. I don't want to hear somebody who's teaching something wrong or saying something wrong. Or uh, I, I, I want to hear something that's that's uh, a different lens sometimes. And so I, I do not know how National Fire Radio popped up in my Instagram, but when I was, you were talking about an apparatus innovation. I thought, man, that's pretty cool. This is probably May okay. sometime. Yeah, May, so early June, on. Yeah, yeah, very early on. Yeah, and. Uh, so I, yeah, let me follow this guy. And so every time that you start talking about these apparatus innovations, I'm like, man, I've got a, we have um, one of our units. It's, just, it's a stairway. But we don't have the ability to open up the stairway and store anything behind it. Right. It is empty space back right. there. Right. And so I, I took it to the chief. and our, So we have a, spe- a special hazmat district chief. And I took it to him and one of the apparatus guys for, for our, said, hey, dude, look at this. You know, this is a great idea. Why aren't we putting anything inside the stairway that yeah. we hardly ever go up? Yeah. Right. Um, uh, just to refill the kitty litter. Right. Um, and so, 
that's kind of how some things started catching on with us. That's and, cool. And where I got the idea of talking about the the wiffle ball and the yeah, 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 sure. and yeah. The, um, the the sample line. So uh, was was all because of you. So that's cool. I have to. Uh, as I said earlier, I'm I'm I'm, I'm honored to be here <laughs> just because of that. So that's so stuff. funny to me. I know. We're I just know. a bunch of we're just a bunch of idiots. I mean, I love it. But thank you. I mean, honestly, though, I mean, I'm. I am honored, and I'm and I'm just so grateful for the friendships that we're making along the way, and the fact that we have a friend in Houston, and you know, and if I we ever get down that way, we certainly will reach out. I mean, I just I love it, but it's it's about running in the right circles and loving the job and loving the craft, and you know, everybody that's in it for the right reasons tend to huddle together, and so this is this has been really good. So, Bear, thank you, brother. I I can't thank you enough for being here. Awesome, it It is. What a wonderful. What a great day. And, uh, well, that's it, man. We're going to wrap this thing up. We've been going a while and, uh, and so on. So, for Bear, Jason Wilson out of Houston Fire, captain of the Hazmat team down there, or one of the captains on the Hazmat team. And, uh, of course, Tucker and Heather, our new face. She's, she's going to be so good for us. I'm so excited to have you. And, uh, of course, Jeremy, the Loudmouth of National Fire Radio. Um, thanks, guys, for checking us out. Our last, this is the official last day in this studio we keep saying that i know we keep saying that <laughs> but i have to say though this thing uh you know there's not much to it but uh it's been fun and uh the next chapter starting so this is it for the end of the year guys thank you happy new year to everybody working on the line over the uh the shift into 2019 uh stay safe and uh keep watching we have a lot more coming out and uh for myself and, and the bear and the rest of the national fire radio thank you happy new year happy new and, year uh, thank you thanks mm-hmm. take care happy new year Thank you. Yes! <laughs> <All right. Thanks. laughs> Come on, uh, get in here. Sam, get over here. Let's see if we can all squeeze in. One, two, three. That's right, awesome. Cool. Man. That's, cool. Yeah, that's really cool. That's good stuff. <laughs>